So we're starting a new sermon series uh, this um, today, actually, uh, for this term, and we're going to look at life in the world. We looked at life in the spirit back in January. We then looked at life in community, and now we're looking at life in the world. And um, the whole idea behind this is: what does it mean to live as followers of Jesus in the world today? And the the word uh, world in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is uh, the Greek word cosmos, which uh, we all relate to uh, cosmos as a sort of universe, the created world. But actually, uh, it also means, or, or referred to in the Bible, the world is also sort of the people. So when we talk about the world, it's not only sort of the, the whole creation, but sometimes it refers to the people in the world. And sometimes it refers to the culture and the, 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 the things people believe and the influence in the world, which can be negative in our walk with Jesus. So the world is quite a big, big thing. So what we're looking at is how can we live out our faith in the world around us with the issues that are around us. And we'll be looking at things like mental health next week, at poverty later on. We're going to look at rest and Sabbath because we firmly believe that if we want to be a counterculture to a world that's rushed, then we need to pause and relax and, and have a different rhythm to our life. So we'll be looking at that. And uh, then we'll be looking at First Peter, which is all about sort of being uh, foreigners or um, people from a, a different nation in the world. So it's all about um, being exiles in this world. And First Peter is a, a fascinating book. And Peter writes to them, and at the heart of it is this verse. It says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Um, so that's what we'll be looking at, at what does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus in this world. And I'm really excited about this sermon series. And we'll end up at the end of the whole thing, sort of going towards Christmas. Uh, we'll be looking at what happens after the world has concluded or our life in the world has concluded. So we'll be looking at Jesus' second coming and heaven. What's, what does the Bible say about heaven? But this com- is coming in December, so uh, you have to wait a bit, go through a few, a uh, lot of sermons before that. Um, but we're looking at, at that today. And, uh, and today we, we're looking at the theme of calling. And uh, call, the, the theme for today was uh, one that I said, Sally, Sally's uh, preached in the morning, I said, this is your last sermon, what do you want to preach on? Choose the passage and the theme, and she chose this passage. And um, we look at the passage, and I was thinking like, I love the theme and I love the passage, but I'm not sure how they come together. Um, And actually, as I studied it and prayed into it, I thought, oh, this is an amazing passage to kick us off in this academic year. It's an amazing passage to look at together as we look at uh, the next term, and uh, we, we start looking at what is God doing amongst us. So, uh, the story we're going to look at today is a story of Joshua and Caleb. Uh, Caleb is one of my he- big heroes in the Bible. I love Caleb. I, I love his faith and his enthusiasm. Uh, but just a bit of background before we go into the Bible is, if, if you remember a story, if not, just this is a big overview, is they've left Egypt. So the, the Israelites had been 400 years uh, in Egypt as slaves, and God takes them out through Moses, does some amazing things like uh, plagues, and opens up uh, the, the river for them to cross over. Uh, a lot of like, amazing things happen. 
And the whole thing was God was taking them out to take them into the promised land, the land that was theirs, their inheritance. So, so the whole thing is they're coming out to go back to have a, the, a land of their own. And as they come out and they celebrate and they cheer and they get the Ten Commandments, um, Moses sends uh, 12 spies to go and check the land. So 12 people go out, they check what, what's, what's around there, what's happening, uh, what's in the land, and they come back, they all come back with the same report saying, the land is amazing, God's given us a really good land, but there's a big problem. There's these, all these kind of people there are much stronger than us. If we go into battle with them, they're going to destroy us. So they see the reality or, or the physical reality is that they, there's no way they can conquer that land. Um, and therefore, 10 of them say, they're too big. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Let's do anything. But if we go, we're going to get killed. And Joshua and Caleb, heroes, say, no, God is with us. He's called us to do this. I don't know how we're going to solve this. But if God is calling us to go there, he's going to sort this out. Um, so that's the story. And we are looking at Nehemiah 13, um, starting on verse 26. So I'm going to read a bit of it. You can see it on the screen uh, and um, if you go to the Bible, you can look at it in the Bible. Um, numbers is at the beginning of the Bible. And this is what it says. They came, they came back to Moses. This is the 12 spies and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruits of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, so actually physically showing the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, I'm not sure how we say that, live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So this is what they saw. They saw these people, and um, this is like the, the sort of unbiased report. Is this is what we saw, good stuff and challenges. So what did they see? They saw the promised land, and it was as expected promised land, but they saw challenges. They probably weren't expecting these sort of really powerful people. Um, and as I was thinking of, of the promise uh, of the land, because obviously uh, at that time, land was very important for them. It, it, it related to who they were as a people. Um, but I think the, the bigger promise when God says, takes them out of Egypt, he says, I'll take you out so you can come to the desert and worship me and be with me. So the bigger promise was really that they would be able to be a community that had God at its center. Um, and, and that's what God has promised more than anything else, is you're going to come out and be a community around me. So the promise was the land, was sort of the fulfillment of, of where they would live. But more importantly, the promise was God with them. God was going to be with them in their midst. And the challenge was obviously the, the people there. Like, how on earth are you going to conquer land where uh, these, these uh, groups of people had strong armies? You, you can't without uh, a bit of help from God. Um, and as I was thinking of this, and, and obviously relating it to us, is what's, what's a promise? What has God promised us? What has God definitely promised? 
each and every one of us as we choose to follow Jesus. He has promised us eternal life. He has promised us uh, being with us. He's promised to support us. He's promised to provide for us. There's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about that. And this is what God has promised to all of us. That's kind of the, the basic promise for everyone, is that God will give us eternal life. And he'll be with us no matter what. He'll support us and he'll provide for us. And we live in, in a time which is quite challenging um, I don't know how you're doing with mortgages and other, other stuff. I've, uh, I've spoke to my mortgage advisor on, in August uh, a few weeks ago, and not very happy news about six and a half interest rate uh, for our flat, and uh, suddenly having to pay an extra 400 pounds without any benefit at all. You just lose 400 pounds or something like 12,000, I think it's like 15,000 pounds in the next three years without any benefit at all. And we're thinking, how on earth are we going to pay for that? And um, we also have, uh, at least for us, the stress of having little kids, which fight all the time. They're lovely, but they're so tiring. And after summer, like six weeks, is like, please go back to school. Um, and then they go back to school and, oh no, it's Saturday today. I got them again. Um, and... <laughs> But I guess everyone in different stages has, if, if you've, got, you've got different family pressures, where, where that's your, your parents getting elderly and having to support them, your, your kids going through teenage years, your siblings going through difficulties. We just all have different difficulties in life. Life is just hard, isn't it? It's so hard. And, and we also have difficult relationships, and we have unmet expectations all the time. Life is difficult. And added to that, we as Christians have more difficulties because we, we, have to, we don't only have all those difficulties, we have other difficulties because we are trying to follow Jesus. So we, we have uh, time we need to invest in God and coming to church. And we also are called to be kind and be like Jesus, which is, is lovely, but it's also hard. Sometimes you're at work, doesn't happen with me at all, but uh, sometimes you might be at work and you get annoyed with, with the circumstances of the people around you. Life is hard. And as a Christian, some of things are harder. But imagine how hard it must be if you don't have the promise. Imagine your life without the promise of a God with you. Imagine your life without a, the promise of a God who supports you. Imagine life without the promise of a God who provides for you. Imagine your life without a God who promises eternal life. That's so much harder. So the promise completely outweighs any challenge. Imagine going through life and seeing interest rates go up and there's nowhere you can fall onto. Imagine you're going through a difficulty and someone you love is dying and there's no expectation of eternal life. How hard is that? But with the promise, it's so different. When we have the promise of God, of him being with us, everything changes. And that's why uh, this story is, is so amazing. So let's continue with the story. So they've given the report, and then Caleb, look, listen to Caleb. I love Caleb. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among 
the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. The Nephilim were what they call giants, were probably like really big people. Um, and we, I love this phrase, it's, it's quite a funny phrase. I think it's, it's, it's nearly, it seems like a joke, but we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So they see themselves as this weak group of people in, in front of like these massive, um, these massive uh, people attacking you. Thinking in rugby terms, and I, I have to own up, what a failure we were last night. I'm very happy that none of the South Africans are here because they're watching South Africa play Scotland, so it means that like, there's a bit of less, less rugby banter, but what a disaster. Everything went wrong yesterday. Um, but imagine playing rugby, and you have like, a group of 15-year-olds playing the All Blacks, and they look at them and like, what are we doing? We are grasshoppers. That's how they felt when they saw the reality around them. And the passage continues. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They'd rather die than, than go towards where God was calling them. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they complained. They said, let's go back to the comfortable thing we knew. Let's go back to, to sort of being slaves, but, but not having these, these challenges. It's a bit like when we become Christians and, and there's a bit of pressure around us and we say, oh, let's just go back to our life before and we miss out on what God is doing. And they even wanted to choose a, a, a different leader. Um, I hope you, you're not thinking of that yet. Um, and it says, and the, the passage continues, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. I love that. They, they proclaimed, let's go. And then when they hear everyone grumbling, they're like tearing the, the, the clothes in despair, like, can't you see it? God is with us. Can't you see it? He is with us. They're desperate and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because he will, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. I love... I love their sense of adventure. I love their sort of trust in God. If God promised us to go, we go. We don't think twice, we just go. But I also understand the doubts that the others had. You can understand you're going into a place where you're going into war against people who are better than you. Like, the chances are if, if God doesn't do something, you're going to get destroyed. You understand both positions. 
because the stakes are so high. And, and if you know the story, uh, at the end, uh, they, they, they back off and they end up going round and round in circles for 40 years. Um, and then at the end of the day, the other 10 spies don't, don't go into the promised land and Joshua and Caleb do. But what I love and what I want to stick with tonight is I love this phrase that um, one of them is saying, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the Lord is with us. And I think as, as churches, I'm not saying us as a church, but churches, we, we sometimes live with a mentality as if God did nothing in our favor, as if God wasn't part of the equation, as, as if God can't, doesn't show up, as if God won't do something that, that will sort of bring his kingdom down. And, and I think we, we sometimes just get comfortable and can live without that sense of God amongst us. And um, I think that makes churches very boring, and I think that makes churches die out, because there's no sense of God in action, and they're not letting God do his work. And that's why when I read these passages and other passages, I just think it's, it's either all in, or, or let's go home and watch Netflix. Let's go home and watch South Africa. Uh, Scotland. Like, it's either full-on, let's trust God that he'll do something, or if not, what, what's the point? Because that's what's happening in this passage. In this passage, you have the, we either go into a promised land and trust that God will do something, or we go back to Egypt and just be slaves. And they've been praying for 400 years to leave Egypt. And they say, okay, let's just go back to that. And that's what I want us to think about what do we want to do? How do you want to live? And I've been rereading a, a book by John Mark Comer, who was a massive hero of mine. You probably know by now. And uh, his, his book is Live No Lies. And one of the sections is, uh, is about uh, the world. So I was kind of looking back at it uh, as I was thinking of this term. And I, I picked up two quotes, which I think are, are very relevant for us today. This is what he says. Through trusted sources of authority, we get access to reality. So the reality we see, we understand, and what we believe the world is, is based on the trust, the, your trusted sources of authority. That might have been your parents, that might be a, a book, that might be a doctor, but you, you see the world depending on the, the people you trust or the authority you put on other people. And when authority is used well, with wisdom and compassion, we grow and mature into the kind of people who live in congruence with reality and as a result have the capacity to handle even more freedom. Uh, and and I, was, I was reflecting on this because it helped me think, what is the reality we see? How do we define the reality we see? Is it just defined on the secular world around us? Is the reality we see just based on the world we know, or do we factor God into our reality, or do we let God be part of the reality of the world as we see it? Because that will change everything. If we think of, and I'm, I'm, I've wrote documents against prosperity gospel, but if we think of finance just through the eyes of the world around us, if we think of transformation just through the reality of the world around us. If we think of evangelism and sharing the good news just through the lens of 
I have to convince someone, and God isn't part of that reality, then the reality we see will not have God in it, and we end up like those 10 spies, not trusting God, setting, uh, sitting back, and not seeing God act in our midst. And I think what Joshua and Caleb had more than anything else, they had a really good understanding of reality. And the reality they saw was it's a God who created the world, the God who take us, took us out of Egypt. God has worked wonders around us. God promised us to go there, therefore we're going, because he's going to do it again. And the others were, had, just didn't factor that in. They didn't factor God into the equation. And so many times, I think, as people... And as Christians, we don't factor God into the equation. And the, the sec- second quote is, um, bear with me, it's, it's a bit longer than this, and I'll go through it slowly. In fact, for those of us who follow Jesus, we choose of our own free will to place ourselves under external authority, that of God himself as mediated through scripture and to a degree our church. We do this because we believe authority is not inherently oppressive, but similar to parenting for children, a training ground for us to learn how to master our flesh and grow into people of love. Every follower of Jesus in every culture has to constantly ask this question. In what ways have I assimilated into the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance. The temptation for us in the West is less to atheism and more to a do-it-yourself faith. And what, what I think he's, he's trying to say is, with, with this, is we, we choose to put God in a place of authority. We choose to put, place the Bible in a place of authority. We choose to put his word in a place of authority. And uh, what what happens or what we're tempted to do is to actually live a do-it-yourself faith, do-it-yourself church, where there's no expectation that God will show up, there's no expectation that he will do something exceeding what we can do, and, and therefore uh, we, we don't pray into that, we don't expect, and sometimes therefore we don't see him do that. And w- what I think... Is, is the biggest problem with us Christians with assimilating to culture. It's not uh, morals and ethics. It's the fact that we very quickly can become people who don't let the God factor into our lives. We don't put God into the mix. And the only thing I want you to share with you tonight is this. Because this is what Joshua and Caleb did and the others didn't. The others assimilated to a culture or, or to a thinking that didn't put God in the mix, and Joshua and Caleb did. And the only difference was they had the but, the Lord is with us. They saw reality as everyone else, but they had a different factor. But the Lord is with us. But God is in this. And um, I just want to really affirm this. God is with you in your life. Whatever you're going through, remember, God is with you. God has you in his hands. God acts in our favor. And for us as a church, God is with us. God is uh, wanting to extend his kingdom with us. God is in this that we call church. And and I've seen so many proofs of that lately. I'm just going to share a few, maybe the last month. uh, A few, two weeks ago at the 10 o'clock, 
or last week, I think, Adam was asking, Does, would anyone like to share a story of, of something that, that happened? And someone picked up their hand and said, uh, at the sixth service two weeks ago, so this was 26th of August, at this service, someone had a, a word of knowledge about someone with a toothache. Um, I, I wasn't here, but um, I, I, someone told me more or less what it was. And, and it was a, a picture of someone shared just this someone with a problem in their tooth come for prayer. And the next Sunday in the morning, someone was sharing the story of, oh, I, I, that was me. I came, I, I got prayed for, and it was right after that. And, and that's just something that God did in this service two weeks ago. Um, another person was sharing how they, they, they've ha- had some difficulties with, with their vision. And, um, and they went to a doctor, and they went to a doctor again, and... Um, and they got prayer, and, and they went to the doctor like two or three times, and each time the sight was getting better. And the doctor was like, I can't explain how this happens. Uh, I can't explain why you're seeing better. Uh, and she was just coming up for prayer, and it was just God healing her sight. Um, and this was this church a week ago. Someone was sharing that uh, with us. Remember, um, we, we talked about... Uh, the big elephant in the room, and that's not Argentina being a disaster yesterday, uh, the big elephant in the room uh, about our finances, uh, and this was sort of March, April time, and we said, we've got a 58k deficit, that's a lot of money, uh, and we prayed about it, and, and we opened up, and this year, the, the prospect for this year is looking like a sort of surplus of two or three thousand pounds. So that's 60,000 difference. And that's obviously thanks to your generosity and God moving you. But it's just another sign of God's provision. God is in this. It's, it's, not, it's not sort of something we say or we repeat, a nice mantra, a nice sort of karma thing. It, it's actually true. God is in this. The creator of the universe is in this. The one who promises... Yeah, eternal life, the one who healed people in, in the New Testament is in this and he's moving amongst us. Uh, and I think that's, that's what we need to step into is the trust that God is really in this. The, the, this phrase from Nehemiah 14.9 is proper true. It's not some nice thing, but the Lord is with us. Last, uh, I, a few weeks ago, and, and I'm, I'm going to stop because there's more, more stories I could share, but a few weeks ago, um, we, we were struggling a bit with my wife. Uh, basically, um, we wanted to go to Argentina in April next year um, because Easter is the first weekend of the, summer, of the Easter holidays. So it means it's a really good time for us to go because then we can sort of leave on the Monday, spend two weeks, make a school, uh, the kids miss school for a week, spend three weeks. Sorry for the, all of you teachers here, but... Uh, but we can go for three weeks, and, and going in August is horrendous because it's winter there, and it's the only time we get reasonable weather here. And December, we have Christmas in the middle, so it's, it's very hard. So it's sort of like quite a good time, and, and it all works. So ever since, so you know, plane tickets arrive more or less uh, a year after, uh, before, before you fly. So as from sort of late April, we're looking at prices. Uh, and the prices were quite high, um, and then they went up a bit and then down. But they were usually around £4,000, uh, more or less, for the five of us to travel to Argentina. And with our salaries, that's quite a hard thing to do. Um, and obviously looking at interest rates and the energy bills, we're like, well, oh, I'm not sure we, we're going to be able to go because this is a lot of money. Uh, and we, we suddenly decided, okay, we, 
we're probably not going to go or not spend of our savings because we need a bit of buffer uh, because of the interest rate and my wife not working. But basically, said we, we need a, a bit of, of space. So. Um, we, we prayed about it. I, I would check like every week, more or less. Um, when I, I got a bit homesick, I'd check sort of how prices of, of flights. It's like 4,100, uh, more or less. Uh, and, um, and then I went to speak with a bishop for a different thing. After nine months being in post, you have a chat with a bishop. Uh, and in that chat, I was like, well, maybe you could um, make a clergy salary a bit higher, uh, very politely. <laughs> speaking with a bishop, um, uh, and he was like, oh yeah, I completely understand, but we can't because of different reasons. Um, and, and then just the, the week later, I got an email from his secretary saying, look, the bishop wants to give you a grant uh, just for your well-being, just use it for whatever you want, you can go on holidays, whatever you want. And the grant was 2,000 pounds. I was like, yes, <laughs> now I can fly to Argentina for 2,000 pounds, that's more doable. So we went off bought the tickets, uh, and, uh, and actually I was looking again at night one day, and the, the tickets were 3,750, which is the lowest I've ever seen, and this is sort of mid-April, so I just thought I'll buy them, and I bought them, um, and um, Harry told me about a clergy support thing, so I just said, okay, I'm going to apply to this and see what happens. Applying for money for a holiday doesn't seem like an easy win. So I just said, I'll just send and see, see if they want to give me anything. Any, any, any help would be great. So I, I said, um, I like this, uh, and this was, I already bought the tickets, and then I got an email back like a week later saying, your grant's approved, you've got 1,900 pounds, which means at 3,900 pounds. And if you, if you think the, the flight is 3,750 pounds and a taxi to Heathrow is more or less 75 pounds, it's nearly exactly the amount you need to go to Argentina. It's like, isn't God amazing? And, and it's not about the money. Like, I, I'm against prosperity gospel completely. It's about... The fact that we were like, God, come on, we, we're far away from our family, uh, we work for church and therefore it's hard to fly. We would love to go and, and see our, the kids to see our grandparents and the cousins and my brother. Uh, it would be lovely. And, and it's, it's not a need, like we, we can live without going to Argentina, but it's just that God who acts in our favor. There's a God who is in this. And when it says, but the Lord is with us, he really is with us. Uh, and what I'd like us to just leave today with is they believed, Joshua and Caleb believed that God was calling them. And if they went with Joshua and Caleb, I can assure you they would have gone into a land and not been 40 years going round. Because God is with us. God is in us, in this. He's in this that, that we call life, which is hard and it's really hard, but God is in this with us. And... God is in this that we call church because he's the head of a church and he more than anyone else wants to expand his kingdom and he wants other people to know him, other people to uh, be healed and converted and loved by him. And uh, therefore, as we start this, this new academic year, all I want to share with you is that God has shown that he is with us. He's been showing us all of our life probably, but I can assure you in this last year I've been here, I've just seen time after time again how God has been faithful in everything we do and he will continue to be faithful. So why not trust him? Why not step out? Why not say, let's go for it, God, full in. Let's see what you do. Let's try new things. Let's go out and share good news with our friends. Let's trust that he has a plan for our lives. Let's trust that he has us in the midst of the hardest time 
in our lives. So I'm going to invite the band to come forward and shall we stand up and just pray and thank God just for being with us. He's an amazing, amazing God. Father, you know what's hard in our lives. You know what seems impossible for us. And we know that you don't heal every time and that there is more hardship and that we won't get everything we want. But we also know that you are a generous, loving God. That you are with us. And Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding as people of the reality of the world as you've made it. The reality with you as part of the factor or the main factor in it. That the world as we see it is, is not everything there is. But there is a God who intervenes and acts for us and with us and on our behalf. And Lord, as your people today, we, we just want to say we trust you. We want to be like Joshua and Caleb. We want to step out. We want to believe everything you have for us. We want to see your kingdom come. And Lord, if there's a bit of the other ten in us, Lord, we want to surrender to you and pray that you'd give us more faith, more trust in you. So come, Holy Spirit, fill us once again. We love you so, so much, and that's why we delight in worshipping you. And fill us, Lord, now as we worship you.